Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermode. Recently I popped along to the Manx Grassland Society Annual Awards. And I popped up north to Balakinig Farm in Smale to talk to farmer David Brew about maybe the future, what it holds for farming, and also how he's getting on with the sheep lambing at the moment. Well, firstly, welcome to Countryside. If you're new to the programme, it's Kerry Kerbert and Simon Clark here talking about uh, anything, really. Uh, used to be uh, evolved around farming so much, didn't it? But with less and less people getting involved in it, Kerry, uh, we keep that element when we can, but also uh, we can get out with um, events around the countryside at church halls and uh, tree planting, anything really. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, more the merrier, isn't it? But there's so much going on in the community and in the countryside, and that's what we like, everybody getting out and enjoying our beautiful countryside. And uh, like you say, the origins were the farming, and still is, it's still the, the bones of countryside but it's always nice to spice it up a bit yeah and uh, lots of the uh, village halls having uh, events and uh, little i don't know get togethers little entertainment shows and of course a, a big one coming up at the end of march which is the young farmers concert which of course we previewed uh, a few weeks ago absolutely but not only that we have the bradest edford come and simon and also the world championship bonded competition they're all in march as well so get along if you've not been to them no indeed um, well, it's been a funny old time weather-wise we spoke about. Uh, how has it affected um, the one of the essential parts of the agricultural world, if you've got livestock, is of course the grass, Kerry? Absolutely, it's hard out there at the moment. Uh, the ground has, has certainly dried up after the recent uh, bout of snow and heavy rain, uh, but these storms seem to be still hanging around. We've got a, another rough couple of weeks ahead of us, but the countryside's looking very grey and miserable there, and uh, we're desperately looking for a good bit of sunshine and a bit of warmth really now that March is with us we always look for the daffodils the lambs and everything turning towards summertime there's uh, certainly awards uh, given out for good grass there certainly yeah. is, and it's stiff competition here on the Isle of Man amongst the Manx farmers. Uh, the annual Manx Grassland Society held their awards in January, and um, we had travelling judge for, over from Cars Billington, Ian Hartley, and I caught up with Ian when he was delivering a session the evening before the awards on beef production in Brazil. Yes, I was kindly invited um, to come over, go around um, two days worth of farms. That is no mean feat. <laughs> And then, after, and then I've got to do a presentation to farmers on a topic of my choice. And then the following night, I'm awarding the size competitions. And I think that's something we've got to be proud of here on the Isle of Man. We have 32 good dairy farms, a brilliant uh, array of beef and sheep farms. And I think this is something very special, having an invited uh, judge over to see and to compare back to the UK. Yeah, I, I have enjoyed my... I've only been around one, one day's worth of visits at the moment very interesting it's good to see that three out of the four farms are all in fact for all four were all young farmers which is nice to see also interesting to learn about how the Isle of Man and the Isle of Man government work within agriculture and the dairy works with the dairy farmers as well so yeah. very interesting because it's something I knew nothing about 
It is. It's a very unique place, the Isle of Man, and it does. The farmers do shape the island that we live in. It is a very beautiful place. UNESCO Biosphere Partner and everything else like that. It's just something that they work really, really tirelessly at. And tonight, Ian, you had a display on beef production in Brazil. Now that is literally completely opposite to what we do here on the island. Yeah, I was asked to do a, a presentation on anything. Um, I've really been over to Brazil buying meat and they had lots of photographs and it's just mind-blowing the scale of it. Especially come, it was not only in England but for the island man, you just can't compare. No. It's amazing. We are a worldwide market. Yeah, this is it. Everybody talks about global markets and all the rest of it. But you tonight you were talking about millions of beef animals produced in Brazil. Yeah, the, millions and 70% of which is exported. And, and that is a scary thought because you think you know, South America is a lot of people there, a lot of population that would be consumed within their country, but it's really not. Yep, Brazil and Argentina are the biggest per head of beef eaters in the world, but still 70% exported. So that's a lot of animals. <laughs> that really is. And how do you find the UK compares with the production out in, in Brazil? Because, you know, here we are keeping to the rules. We follow the red tractor. We're sort of less intensely farming. We don't have feedlots like they do have there. But yet, uh, you know, they seem to manage. If these other countries want to deal with <laughs> Europe or Britain, they have to follow our guidelines. We don't believe they do because we're British. <laughs> But speak to people in trade, they have to. The slaughterizers are licensed by the EU. All the animals are full traceable because not only do the UK government say they have to be, but so do Tesco, so do Iceland. You know, the consumer says that's not, they want to trade, that's the rules. And how do you see the prices now that are coming in? We have a price hike coming fertiliser, that's already here. The feed that we feed our animals through the winter months, that's going to climb as well. I know that the price has gone up to the, the beef farmer or the lamb producer. It has risen a bit. How will the British uh, agricultural industry look as we go forward? It's, it's a happy coincidence that the beef and lamb price is where it is because, it, believe it or not, it isn't related to the price of cereals, to the price of soya. Fertiliser, it's related to the price of gas. None of them are related to the price of beef and lamb or milk. Unfortunately, it just means that you're turning big amounts of money over. You're not making more, any more money. It's no. just your checks you're writing or receiving are bigger. Yeah. And I think that was it. I think the beef farmers in particular, they, yes, the price is coming up finally, and then all of a sudden the hike in feed has come, the hike in fertiliser has come. And if you look back to the price of cereals, it actually went up in August, which is harvest time. It should always drop. And it's been climbing ever since. And do you think there's peop less being grown? Is it is there less people producing the, the cereals, or you know what is it? What's demanding it? Yes, so it's the supply and demand in one thing, but the other unpredictable one is politics. And as, a, as buyers of fertilizer or of cereals, you can't predict it anymore. No, this is it, because you work for, for Cars Billington, a very well-renowned uh, British company that uh, sells feed and fertilisers to, to various farmers. You will see it, you're, you're the man on the door trying to sell it. Yeah, and, and our, our buyers have, have said the last two years, it's been so unpredictable compared to the last 20, 30 years. And it's not just supply and demand, it's, as I said earlier, it's politics. Yeah, yeah. And do you see it steadying up? Do you understand politics? <laughs> it's anyone's guess then. Precisely, yeah. <laughs>
So coming back to Farmany, and do you think that um, it is a swing back to less is more, more native bred animals, Aberdeen Angus, finish them off grass, keep less, add value? What do you think? How? Because not everybody is going to be able to afford the fertiliser price that is coming. I think every farm's different because of the way they are in the, in, the, in the country. Not everyone can grow grass. As a feed person, obviously you buy some feed. A lot of it is marketing as well. If you've got your, your own farm shop, then you're doing all right, and if it's in the correct location. But we have to bend to what the buyers want of Tesco's, of Waitrose. It's what they want. It's not what your local butcher wants. And you were saying before, the, the soya situation, that that is going to have a huge impact. Soya's got a very bad name environmentally within the buyers of feed or milk. But yet you still soya milk is still classed as a, a nice product. So to me that doesn't make sense. But the feed companies don't put soya in for the sake of it. It's an expensive product. It's a very, very good product, very good source of DUP. We bought in minimum, haven't you? I bought a graph up earlier showing um, the amount of ships going from South America. Very few actually were going to uh, Europe. There was a full line going to China. So if you had stopped soya tomorrow, it won't make any difference to the amount of soya grown and sold in South America. But then there's different levels of soya. You can have traceable soya, which has been on the soya farm for the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. They're not all ripping their rainforests. No, that's it. It's getting that balance, isn't it? That imbalance with the environment, sustainability. And I think that's one thing when you're supporting, you're like your local butcher or your, your local cereal farmer, that miles is coming off the end product, isn't it? It really is. Like talking about seasonality, vegetables, eat in season, buy local. I think they're all buzzwords at the moment, but I think they're quite important. Yeah, and it doesn't make a mockery when it's this vague January. What seasonal products are there available in, in January? I'm all for buying local, buying seasonal, food miles, that's fine. But buying veg from Israel or Africa in January because it's good for vegans, is it good for the world? Yeah, and it's that balance that everybody's looking for, isn't it? Do you think it will come? Do you think everybody will settle in? It's very difficult because I live in the countryside, like yourself, it's what the people in Manchester, what the people in London think. We have a big talk on, big push on uh, carbon footprint. I don't really care about it that much, but it's a big buzzword in these cities. And that's where our market is. We've got, we've got to be careful. I, mean, I think everybody has just got that brain fog at the minute with was it COP26, all of the, the ideas that the agri-environmental systems or schemes are coming into play. People have sort of lost a little bit of direction, but uh, I'm sure in time, like farmers do, they're resilient people. Absolutely. And, you know, the feed industry, we will bend. If, if we have to do it, we'll do it. But we don't want to do it at the cost of production. We don't want to go back to cows not giving a lot of milk, reducing live weight gain on beef cattle and lambs. We want to keep, we have to keep that production levels up. It was interesting to see before, um, Ian, you were mentioning about uh, lime. It's an old-fashioned product. You know, lots of farmers used to do rotational graze and rotational cropping, and lime was always something then. Do you see a lot more people going back to basic methods, especially in sort of cereal growing? Certainly with the, with the price of fertiliser now being three times as much as it was last year. If you get your pH of your soil correct, it will make more use of your expensive fertiliser. 
So that should be the first point of call is get that pH right and then mourn about the price of your fertiliser. <laughs> What kind of, I know you're here to be the judge of the Grassland Dinner and Awards this year. What kind of things inspire you? What will you be looking for when you're doing your rounds of the farms this time? Well, initially, you, the, the size results are look at the protein levels, the energy levels, the pH of it, the intakes, asking the, the farmer how much per head they're feeding so you get an idea. Of, it might look great on paper, but does the animal like it? Ah, true, yeah. <laughs> So you've got an idea then of what, what it's like. Then you need to look at the face, see, make sure it, it, it looks tidy because wastage is, is money. Yeah, absolutely. And will most people do silage clamps now sooner than bales? More and more, especially the, the dairy farmers. Um, I believe we're going to one tomorrow which has a lot of bales. But the majority is silage clamps. And it's more uniform. If you're feeding bales, you can have a, a bad bale tomorrow, good bale day after. With the clamp, it's consistently good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, yeah. And the cows just want the same food every day. So, you'd rather sort of grass silage. What about good hay? Is there still a place for it? Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Our sheep like it though. <laughs> sheep like it because it's safe and it's healthy. But from a certainly a dairy point of view, there's no milk in it. If you look at the analysis of hay, it's poor compared to silage. It's overgrown grass. Yeah. It's seeded. So there is a place because it's handy. But in Lancashire, we don't have the weather for here, anyway. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and neither do we in the Isle of Man, I don't think, some of the time. No, it's very rare you get that nice June hay, as, as we used to call it. But that's, again, the change in the seasons. You know, they're having the windows of opportunity to harvest grass, like you, the good quality grass that you're looking for yeah. for your judgments. Unfortunately, most of it now is done by contractors. So you're really governed by the contractors rather than the weather. So that's, that's a problem. Oh, well, well, I better let you get back to the crowd anyway, Ian. But uh, good luck, and I hope you get out of here safe. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. That was Ian Hartley, the judge over from Cars Billington in the UK, and the winner of the overall Manx Grassland Society Award for the best grassland management and dairy grassland management was the Cool family there at the Ballamorda Strait. And the beef and sheep winner for this year was Chris Neal. Uh, the judges was Alan Tier and Jim Cayley, and the chair lady for this year was Sophie White. Well, very interesting, Kiri, there to get the views of uh, people involved in the same line of work, a lot of people on the Isle of Man, um, from, from further afield, isn't it? It is. The world is in a bit of turmoil at the moment with uh, costs rising and, and all of the affairs that are going on further afield. But farmers, they're resilient people, and no doubt they'll get through this. And here on the Isle of Man, they'll, they'll hold fast. Uh, they're a great agricultural industry here, and uh, well, let's hope that everything will level out. Indeed. wonder if he's got a book out like his cousin on Grassland. Oh, what's that? Uh, Grassland by I.R. Hartley. <laughs> you don't know what I'm on about. Not a clue. <laughs> You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, you heard uh, Kerry talking to Ian Hartley there uh, from the Grassland Association, talking about the trials and tribulations that they have, uh, trying to get good grass with some of the rising prices. Well, I went along to Ballakinnig Farm in Smale to talk to David Brew, and I got onto the subject later on about uh, how uh, world affairs are affecting the world of agriculture. But firstly, we found ourselves in the lambing shed, and how far on was he with the lambing? 
They're about probably three weeks away from, from starting, roughly, round about the 18th of March, they'll, we might have a lamb or two. Is that, is that always aim for this? Has it changed over the years? Have you always tried to, to lamb the, the sheep at the same time, around the same time? Yeah, yeah, it, it's certainly, certainly been around that date probably now for about 20 years, I would say, yeah. Traditionally in this area, it was, um, it was early lambing, sometimes in December and January, but that, that's what my father used to do. But um, that, sort of, that sort of changed now. That, that was more really when, when farms were traditional um, and they had a little bit of everything. You know, um, they had they had maybe milking some cows. That they, they were fattening cattle, uh, maybe in the traditional stone buildings. They had early lambing sheep, which would be mostly Dorsets. Um, yeah, but when when things started to change and became more um, specialised, and I, and I think they had to go to become more specialised because. To do a little bit of everything, you know, I think I think you were probably doing a little bit of everything, but not doing it particularly well. So specialisation meant that that people concentrated on either one element of production and tried to do that better. Looking at these sheep, uh, lots of different coloured faces on them, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, they've probably all got an element of of um, hill breed in them. There's a few mashems there, uh, these, these black and white heads here and there's grey faces there and they're all crosses from um, from either Scotch blackface or, 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 or and well they're Scotch blackface and Teeswater or Swaledale. Um, I haven't heard the word Teeswater for many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can sort of see it in their heads really, that tuft of wool that's sitting on that and that sort of curly element that twist in the wool I mean that's where that comes from really is that yeah. tease water yeah and it's still still um, obviously since since you've been farming you've always had the sheep here um, still still worth keeping them though in this day and age um, just at the moment I mean I think post brexit everybody thought that the sheep trade would collapse um, really, um, you know, because of the markets going into one of the main markets going into France, but it hasn't turned out that way yet, which is quite strange. The the, the sheep market in the UK, uh, you know, the lamb market into into the red meat sector is, has been very strong, you know, and it, and it's um, I'm not exactly sure why that is, but it but um, certainly the last couple of years that the sheep trade has been very good, whereas probably before that, lamb prices probably stayed stagnant for a good 10 years. It, so <laughs> but, sometimes- And of course, cost of everything stayed the same for 10 years. No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite right. But that's, that's, that's farming in general, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, and the only way you've been, had been able to survive or tried to survive is, 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 is trying to be more efficient in what you do. Because as you say, generally speaking, your costs have, uh, has, has escalated, but your price for the product has stayed the same. Um, and at times, you know, 
a lot of people have fell by the wayside that, that haven't been able to, to, to make those efficiencies and survive. But, but in lots of ways, what all you've ended up doing is, is actually running faster to stay still. Not a good way to be, but it's, it's gone, I suppose, since you started farming, David, to a, a more scientific approach needed. Well, probably since, since the late 60s, really. Um, certainly through the 70s, seven, uh, science, science has probably been the reason why food production, not only in the UK, in the Ireland, and, but worldwide, uh, you know, has, has increased. I mean, you know, yields of, of either cereals and plant breeding, etc. And, and, and understanding how the, the science of, of what plants required, um, the science of, of animal husbandry. Prior to that, I think it was, it was probably just handed down from generation to generation. This is the way you do it. They didn't probably understand why they did it that way. They didn't understand maybe the, the science of it, but certainly through the 60s and 70s that the agriculture made great leaps forward because of science and understanding and knowledge. Um, and now agriculture is based on that. But, but, it, but of course, so modern agriculture is based on science. But the problem is now that the use of that science is now becoming so prohibitively expensive that you're almost going back in time. I, I, I call it it's sort of a bit like that, that film going back to the future. And, and I think in the next few years, you might see farms going back to more traditional rotations where they're getting nutrients back into the soil through crop organic rotation crop things. rotation, organic matter, livestock, as opposed to relying on chemical fertilizers. Now, talking about fertiliser, that's one of the things that seems to be stinging the agricultural industry at the moment. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. I think uh, it's, it's, it's probably... I've, I haven't experienced anything like this in, in my working lifetime. It's sort of a new normal, but um, nobody really knows what that normal is. I think everybody hoped that, that, that this was just going to be a... A temporary blip and you know a 200% hike in fertilizer price um, was only going to be temporary and uh, this this coming sort of season where people were planning maybe for for crop rotations into into 2023 where they'd be making those plans later in this year um, that that they could revert back to what they were previously doing one of the problems is, as a farmer, you can't just decide oh, a couple of weeks' time, we'll not oh, no. do that. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Oh, no. You, you, you have to be almost a year planning in advance um, what, what your management's going to be, how, what your, your cropping is going to be. And that, I suppose, is dependent on what the markets are as well. But... The biggest factor going forward is going to be in input costs. Now, the, the, the main one for modern agriculture is, is based on chemical fertilizer. That, that production 
the output that the that UK, European, world agriculture is based on chemical fertilizer. So once you drop that element of chemical fertilizer use because it's uneconomic, then it's inevitable the output will drop as well. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if just round the corner you're looking at maybe in a year, 18 months time, food shortages and, and a massive, massive hikes in, in, in costs of food because of those shortages. Um, I, th I think we're living in a time that, that maybe our parents went through and that, that they had experience of, but me and you, we, we certainly haven't. And I think that's possibly just round the corner. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry to be a little bit gloomy, but um, that's the way I see it. Well, there's lots going on, um, mm. crises around Europe at the moment. And yeah. I think you were saying to me before that the likes of places like Ukraine are, yeah. are big fertilizer producers as well. They are, Lithuania. A lot of, lot of imported fertilizer comes into the UK from Lithuania. Um, I'm not sure whether a lot comes in from Ukraine, but a lot goes into Europe from Ukraine. And of course, that will then have a knock-on effect of fertilizer prices in the, in the UK. And the biggest factor of fertilizer prices, ammonium nitrate is gas. 50% of Europe's gas comes from Russia. So it uh, it's, it's affects everything. Oh, as I said, I think we're, we're looking at a new normal, but no one knows what that normal is. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, precarious times. That, that's the way I look at it anyway. David Brew from Balakinig in Smale there, farmer, and uh, showing concerns really about uh, you know sort of saying you heard him saying that how lucky uh, our sort of generation have been with um, with the world we've been able to deal with everybody and there's been no shortages and more or less uh, saying that, that one day there could be the verge of uh, uh, rationing and things like that with shortages of certain types of food because of, uh, you know, the, the sanctions and everything that goes on around the world. Certainly, Simon, it's uh, food security is an absolute must. We have to keep our finger on the pulse with it, especially here on the Isle of Man. We've got to look after food production. And uh, like you say, uh, the population is growing vastly and the areas of productive farmland is maybe not getting used for production of food as such now um, so we're going to have to be very very careful um, it is very worrying times it's a global affair right now and it's really knocking on right down to our small island here and um, you know it's a lot of money to find to grow these crops there will be different shifts back to old crop rotations like David was saying he's at the forefront he has his finger on the pulse for lots of the mm. uh, modern day agriculture and um, he's right in what he's saying it is worrying times it really is okay well we'll leave it there for this week don't forget if you've missed part of the programme or you want to hear the interviews in full and past programmes as well, go to Manx Radio's website, uh, powered by Miller Chaps of Ramsey, and you can go to the Listen Again feature or the podcasts and listen at your leisure. We're back next Tuesday with more. So, from me, Simon Clark, and me, Kerry Kermode, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.